Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Glad you can join us. Here on The Landscape, we're going to try to speak to all the candidates who are running for their party's nomination for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by incumbent Senator Rob Portman. Today, we speak to one of the two Democratic candidates. We talk to Morgan Harper. She will face off against U.S. House of Representatives member Tim Ryan for the Democratic nomination. Ms. Harper is an attorney based in Columbus. She also has held a number of jobs, including working for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Ms. Harper is based, as we mentioned, in Columbus. In 2020, she challenged Representative Joyce Beatty for the primary for Ohio's third congressional seat, where she was defeated. She returns now to run in this election. Ms. Morgan Harper, thanks for joining us today for The Landscape. Thanks for having me. So you've said your story is Ohio's story. How so? Well, like a lot of folks, I mean, early on, my family went through a lot. I was born here in Columbus, given up for adoption. I lived in a foster home as an infant and was adopted and raised on on the east side of the city. And I saw what it was to just have one financial life shock that puts you at this crossroads where you either go totally off the rails or you have the good fortune and a stable union protected job like my mother did in her case. To, to get things back on track. And seeing that kind of vulnerability at such a young age really set me on a mission to do something to make sure that we're all more protected and figuring out what this system was about. What was life like for you growing up? Well, you know, I think it's similar for a lot of people. I it was raised by my mom. We lived paycheck to paycheck. I saw her negotiating with childcare providers to get another week to be able to pay when things weren't quite adding up. But one pivotal moment in my childhood was getting a scholarship to go to a private school here in central Ohio called Columbus Academy that really woke me up to how some people are living in a very different way. And, and it was that, that disconnect between this idea that we all get the same fair shot and starting place, but then seeing that that wasn't quite true uh, also helped to inform just what I would end up doing professionally and, and pursuing a career in public policy. Those kind of experiences can be an eye opener. Your classmates are bumming around Europe over the summer or, or skiing in Vail and you're working. It's it's a it's a real eye opener, isn't it? Huge, huge eye opener. And you know, it, it just it showed what a lot of people don't get <laughs> exposed to that uh, we're not all starting in the same spot and we aren't all struggling in the same way. I think what has changed a lot over the course of my lifetime is the number of people who put themselves in the category of feeling like they can't make ends meet. That has become not just a lower class or middle, lower middle class. It's a most of us issue that the cost of child care, that the wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living. And that's where we're seeing our, our state also at a, at a crossroads. What led you to become a lawyer? Well, once I got exposed to some of these inconsistencies, it, it like I said, just put me on this path to figure out what is, what is this? What's going on? How did this all come to be? When I went to college, I, I went to Tufts University for college, and that's where I learned there was this thing called public policy, and that none of these things are an accident. It's actually decisions being made at the government level to decide what our outcomes are as, as citizens, as people living in our communities. And undergirding all of the public policy decisions are laws, and also wanting to understand what that was about and have a firm footing to then be able to apply what I, I was learning and understanding in Ohio to make sure that everybody has a fair shot, just like I did. And, you know, especially being someone who's adopted, I've never felt entitled to anything. I, I've, I'm very aware of how it took a few good breaks to be able to get a shot to live out what my potential is and, and just wanting to apply that skill set in the law, in public policy to make sure that's the case for everyone. 
You spent some time working for the Federal Trade Commission. You said it made you skeptical skeptical about the way government should be able to help people. What led to that skepticism? Yeah, my first job after college was at the Federal Trade Commission, which, you know, that was in the early 2000s. It was the Bush administration. It wasn't a time where people were embracing the idea of the federal government doing a whole lot. And in fact, uh, continuing a philosophy that began in the 80s to have the federal government be under attack. And you know, in, in the Federal Trade Commission, though, I did start to understand where a lot of that, why that skepticism was resonating with people, because I got there, a recent college grad, ready to just attack the issue, seeing the inequality that was rising in our state, in my home community, and wanting to do something about that, and seeing this agency as a place where we could implement effective economic policy at the regulatory level that was going to have an impact, but not feeling that urgency inside really feeling like there are a lot of people that were comfortable with just continuing to chip away little by little at problems instead of going full force to figure out how we could have high impact solutions implemented as quickly as possible. And, and I got it. I, I got why people fed into that skepticism. Senator Portman's seat has opened up. As we mentioned, you'll face off against Tim Ryan in the primary. Why do you want to be in the Senate? Well, right now we are seeing, and like I was referencing earlier, the outcomes of having economic policy that has ravaged our state in many ways, that has left us a place where the top jobs that are being created are in the retail sector, uh, in janitors, uh, cashiers, waiters, waitresses. These aren't career-sustaining, family-sustaining jobs. And we're also seeing that people can't keep up with the cost of healthcare, the opioid crisis that has hit our state. So we need to have a new game plan. We need to have leadership in the U.S. Senate that is going to make investments in our state that will change the trajectory because we've seen the outcomes of not, of not having that type of leadership. And it's, it's literally killing us. If, what would be your top two or three legislative priorities if you were elected? One thing I'm very focused on is this idea of economic freedom, and it, it ties to a policy area around competition policy, being able to address the fact that we have in every market area, and we're seeing it a lot during the pandemic, but in every sector of the economy, we have a few large corporations that dominate and make it virtually impossible for workers to bargain effectively for higher wages and benefits or even small and medium-sized businesses to compete and, and run their own businesses and have them be based in, in our state. And that is only going to change if we refresh our laws, antitrust laws, implement more pro-competition policy that is going to lessen the hold that these companies have over our, our economic lives. You, you told the New York Times you would run a campaign that was aimed at turning out black voters, women, young people with this message of the economy on the side of the working people. What would be the major economic policy or change you try to do to make that happen in addition to what you just described? The other thing that we need to look at is things that aren't maybe conventionally thought of as economic policy in, in getting at that goal, like health care making it that everyone has universal health care, that we're lowering the cost of prescription drugs, and that we are also taking on monopolies in the healthcare sector, including ho regional hospital monopolies, but also big pharma that are driving up the costs and, and preventing people from being able to have that basic building block of life covered. That's not only the right thing to do because healthcare is a human right, but it also is an economic opportunity that would not saddle small businesses, medium-sized businesses with the responsibility of covering all of their employees' healthcare needs. That's a basic good. That's something that we need to have the negotiation power of the federal government using to the full extent 
to be able to get at that goal of universal access to health care. Let's talk politics for a moment. Ohio voted for President Obama twice and now seems to be very much a red state, very much in favor of Donald Trump. And they seem to sweep statewide elections, the Republican Party. Where's the Democratic Party gone wrong in the state of Ohio? I may be wrong. It's not the right word, but what, what's what's changed? Well, you're right that we're not winning. And, and there is a need to adopt new strategies based on what we're learning from those losses. And we've made clear from the moment we launched this campaign that this is going to be a campaign and my candidacy represents a new playbook. And that playbook is rooted in what the voters of Ohio are telling us, that they are rejecting career politicians. And for good reason, good reason in the sense that we have seen that we've had a generation of leaders in Washington that are taking money from the very large corporations that have no desire to do anything to address the economic issues that are facing our state, that have overseen a generation of shipping our jobs and our whole supply chain overseas and has left us as a state that is no longer focused on making things, but just creating opportunities in the service industry that don't even cover the basic costs of life. So what we're talking about is we need to, to bring to voters an option and a, an option of leadership that is going to be honest about that. But in my declaration of saying I'm not taking corporate PAC money, they'll know that this is a this is a different this is a different style of, of politics. Right. That is very core to our strategy of how we win as a Democratic Party in this state. But then we also have to focus on the key constituencies that we need to turn out to vote. We have to make sure that we are recognizing the reason that we're not winning is that we are not getting the type of turnout among Black voters, young people, working class voters that we need to be able to overcome the reliable Republican turnout that is happening. That is only going to be possible through grassroots strategies that get at people directly. We cannot wait for people to just expect that they're going to vote because we're Democrats and that's enough. Clearly, that is not enough right now because we're not winning. And we have to go to them with a strong message of why we're going to be on their side, stand up and fight for them, really mean it, and meet them where they're at to make sure that they are mobilized to turn out in November. Morgan Harper joins us for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Ms. Harper is running for the Democratic primary in the Democratic primary, I should say, against uh, Tim Ryan, the U.S. House of Representatives member, to see who will get the Democratic nomination to run for Senate in the fall election. Ms. Harper, I spoke with Mike Gibbons, who's a Republican candidate running for this same office, and I asked him about the issue of Republicans in the party and I said, is, is, has it become an issue that the party has moved away from being interested in positions and more about being President Trump's, former President Trump's place to air his grievances? And I'll ask a reverse question for the Democrats. Have they sometimes become too obsessed with certain social issues that they lose track of things that might be important to more general voters like the economy and taxes? Well, I don't think it's an either or. I mean, I, I am a proud Democrat and I believe in our party being a place that is inclusive for a lot of different types of people and doesn't barter in hatred, hateful rhetoric to garner votes. That is not something that any of us as Americans, as Ohioans should be supporting. And we have not seen the type of leadership on the Republican side and in the Ohio GOP and national GOP that is standing up against that type of rhetoric enough. So that should just be full stop what we should all expect as citizens of this country. But then we also, like I was saying, we need to come to people with a message of how we are going to deliver real change for them and improve their lives through our representation by voting for us. That's only gonna happen if we don't play it small and constantly think about how we're gonna compromise with the other side. We have to have a bold vision of how we are going to make sure that people are not drowning in medical debt, 
or student debt, that we are not going to allow large corporations to dominate our economy and make it impossible for our small businesses to compete, that we're going to be creating jobs that are career positions so people don't have to flee the state, that they can have their children stay in place and be able to raise families and be surrounded by family. That's a vision that we have to make sure that we are presenting. That's an affirmative vision. It is one rooted in economic stability. And that is how we are going to flip this seat and expand the Democratic majority in the U.S. Senate. Name recognition in a statewide election is important. I suppose your opponent, uh, Mr. Ryan, probably has a little bit more because he is in the U.S. representatives already, but it's not as if you're running against an incumbent senator. So you both have to get your name out there. How do you plan on doing that? I know advertising is part of that, but what are other ways that you're going to introduce yourself to the voters here in the state of Ohio? Yeah, we're going to do it directly. And there are no shortcuts here. It is going to be a community by community, door by door, block by block journey across the state. It's already started. Uh, in, the, in the early days of the campaign, we have been to Cleveland, we've been to Cincinnati, Lima, Youngstown, Nevada. I mean, we, we're, we're going all over and nowhere is off the table. We have a lot of people that are already reaching out to us proactively, asking us to come and meet with their communities. And we're going to be also just continuing to make our way across the state. And that gets at you know, the, this core point of why we as a party, we as people who believe in democracy and, and putting our state on a more stable trajectory, why we need to be implementing this grassroots approach and meeting people where they're at. We have to show people that we are going to be listening and not only listening for the sake of getting votes, but listening because we're going to wrap up what we're learning into an aggressive agenda to deliver real change for people across the state. Here in Northeast Ohio, we had the recent primary in the 11th Congressional District between Chantel Brown, who was billed as the moderate, and Nina Turner, who was billed as the progressive, and Ms. Brown won that primary. Do you think that's the way this election for the U.S. Senate is going to be played with you as the progressive and, and Ryan perhaps as the more moderate, or is that too convenient of a narrative? Well, this is a statewide election, so it's very different. And what we're focused on and what we need to be focused on as a party is who has been able to win statewide as, as Democrats here for federal seats, Sherrod Brown, Barack Obama. And these are people that both were and are <laughs> uh, not shy about using their positions to stand up to powerful interests and presenting a progressive agenda. That has been a winning strategy for us in this state. And that's something that we're going to be building off of. And we already have started through our campaign. And this is where, you know, I think also my background working in government at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau after the financial crisis. I mean, I, I have a track record of taking on big, powerful interests in the time when it matters most, big banks that were just making up fake accounts and charging people, coming up with fees that they're going to put on financial products that have no purpose but to line their pockets while working people lose. We have to show people that we are going to be willing to do that in order to be on their side and implement policies that will uh, have a positive impact on their lives. You, of course, have to convince voters that you do represent their interests. And this is more of a political philosophy or pundit question, I guess. But it seems certainly in the last few decades, you're seeing more and more voters who seem to almost be voting. And I guess it's easy for me to tell someone else what his or her economic interest is, but seem to vote against their economic interests. You mentioned your mother was in union. You'll find people who are in unions vote for candidates who are anti-union or who are taking advantage of the new health care system, still opposed to it. What is that all about? I think there's a real distrust of politicians right now. 
And look, I'm not a career politician. And I have also referenced that, you know, I've been inside the belly of the beast here and seen how some people who, when campaigning, say that they're going to be for you. But once they get to Washington and in the rubber meets the road here, they are willing to side with the corporations that they're taking money from over what would have the best outcomes for their constituents. So the skepticism is rational. And the only way we're going to overcome that is by having candidates that are pledging to not take money from corporations so people know that they can trust them. And at this point, I do think that it's going to take someone who is not seen as just another career politician from Washington or creature of Washington to be able to persuade the type of coalition we need to win this seat and expand the Democratic majority in the U.S. Senate. When you look at the candidates from the other side of the aisle who are running for the same nomination for their party, which one or two do you really think you're most diametrically opposed to when it comes to positions? I'm diametrically opposed to everyone who tries to manipulate people based on hateful, hateful rhetoric and claim to be about standing up for people when really they are just taking a ton of money from corporate interests and using special ways to do that. I am against the people of the far right who do not seek to do anything but enrich themselves and become more powerful at the expense of working people across this state. We have to come together and stop them. This election is a critical, a critical moment for our state, for our country. And if we can't figure out how to beat Trumpism once and for all, we have very, very big problems on our hands. Being pro-choice is a big part of your of your platform. Um, some people say maybe Roe versus Wade should be overturned because even if you were, even if you are pro-choice, it's not really a great law. What do you think, or, or is there some other way we can go about solving this question? I am proudly pro-choice and I've been consistent in that. I'm the only major candidate in this race that has been consistent in that position. And, and it is an important one right now. And we're seeing the threats that are coming from uh, various state governments that are putting up laws. And, and we've already seen it in, right here in Ohio, the willingness to strip away constitutional rights of women and people across our state. And it is only going to stop by not, I, I think we need to codify Roe v. Wade into law, but we also need to look at just how radicalized the Supreme Court has become. It is out of step with the majority of the of opinion of people living in this country. We need to expand it. There's historical precedent for doing so, and the times certainly demand it right now. We've spent much of our conversation focusing on domestic issues, but what about foreign issues? What do you think the biggest threat is to this country in terms of a foreign question? Well, one thing that we're seeing right now during the pandemic is just how vulnerable we are to supply chain issues um, because we have turned over a lot of our manufacturing to other countries. We have allowed companies to do that. And that has resulted in shortages that we're seeing with various products, but also put large corporations in a position where they're able to increase prices. Uh, if they if they want, and they've already eliminated competition in a lot of these sectors, and so we don't have choices anymore as consumers. So that is a that is a major threat. I mean, the fact that we could have plants who aren't uh, able to keep their workers uh, on on the line because they can't get semiconductor chips from Taiwan that's an issue, and that's something that is only going to change if we have politicians in office that are very focused on doing something about it, understand what's going on, and, and are changing the way that we're structuring manufacturing in our country moving forward. These have been particularly tough times, and I think no one would disagree they've been divisive times. What makes you optimistic about the U.S. political system? 
they are very uh, challenging times. And clearly I am optimistic because I'm, I'm running for office, but I have a strong belief that people in our state are united around very similar goals. And those goals are not lofty that we're all going to be rich and powerful one day, but really much more modest that if we put the work in that we should be okay, that we are not going to be susceptible to going bankrupt because we have the misfortune of getting sick or losing a job. I mean, the fact that a million Ohioans lost healthcare during the pandemic, this is something that we should all be concerned about. But when you talk to people and talk to them directly about, do you wish that we had the ability to afford better childcare? Do you think that we would be better off if we had kids that were in pre-K and that was something that was going to be guaranteed to you? Most people agree that that would be a better outcome for us. And that's where I am extremely optimistic, not only about this election, but that we are going to be able to continue to be a state that our kids are proud to stay in. They have the ability to stay in and want to and continue to have careers and families here. Morgan Harper, thanks so much for joining us today, sharing some thoughts about this upcoming election. We're glad you could be with us today for The Landscape. Thanks so much for having me. Morgan Harper is running for the Democratic nomination for United States Senate. The primary is next spring, the general election next fall. She joined us for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.